0: I was a venture capitalist before that moment. And so I'd stepped away from business school and all these things and you know was now driving the truck and understanding- So basically
1: went from being a venture capitalist, <laughs> just telling other people what to do, to actually having to drive the freaking truck. Yeah. So I drove the truck for a year and a half.
0: And I remember our first board meeting when we sat down and you know we had just raised our Series A. And the question was, are you gonna keep driving the truck? And I was I hadn't really thought about the fact that, oh my gosh, like we're now getting past this and we've got to go hire drivers. That's how we got our start into all this.
1: CEO and co-founder. No one else, the
0: founding partner of Now I'm here, co-founder.
1: I'm Joe Lonsdale. Welcome to the American Optimist. Today, I'm excited for you to meet Rahul Gandhi. Rahul was born to a family that came over from India. His father was an entrepreneur, had some successes, some failures. You know, at one point, danger of losing their house. So Rahul's relationship with entrepreneurship was complicated, but he decided to take a go at it himself. Through my career, I've seen startups rise and fall. It's rare to see an entrepreneur like Rahul who has what it takes not only to drive the truck himself, figure out the unique details, figure out the operating metrics, but also at the same time, push a broader vision, an aspiring vision. Excited for you guys to learn more about Rahul and what he's building. Great to be here today with Rahul Gandhi, the CEO of Clutter. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. Very excited.
1: Let's go back to start from your background. So your parents immigrated from India to the U.S., uh, your father was originally a restaurant owner, and that was your first job, right? As helping fill drinks and serve customers. There Was it Arby's, or what was it?
0: Yeah, it was the first. So interesting story, and and honestly, it's funny because even today, the people that knew, knew my father, unfortunately, my father passed away in 2019, but the people that knew my father always say something different. He said, you know, I came to the U.S. with a dollar in my pocket, and then it turned into $5 and $10. But anyway, long story short, he really grew up in the hospitality industry, so mm-hmm. he was managing hotels up until... I was about seven or eight, so he did hot, hotels before he did it exactly, own, right? exactly, but he always was a dreamer. His, his, his American dream was coming in to start businesses right around when my sister was born that he wanted to get out of the hospitality industry and start his own business, and yep. so his first entryway into that was a franchise restaurant. RV's was the first one, so we were making roast beef sandwiches. What, and what, what were the next couple? Uh, he did Burger King. He actually flipped and did his own roast beef restaurant called Roast Beef Express. And then ultimately he ended with Subway and, you know, bless his heart, even, you know, a few years before he passed away, he started a UPS store. So he was continuing to take shots. He was an entrepreneur. He was Ex- an immigrant exactly, entrepreneur. Exactly. Exactly. And,
1: and, 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 and this the kind of entrepreneurship is hard. I, I think yeah. I understand he went from success to bankruptcy at least a, a, multiple times. How did that affect your vision of entrepreneurship? That would sound kind of scary and unstable to some people. Would that make you not want to be an entrepreneur? Or how do you think? about it.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, it, it really um, the instability scared me in the beginning. And I, I felt so much of the downside. So, like one day, you know, you'd walk in and I'm going to age myself now. But I'd walk in and I have 10 Nintendo games sitting there. Right. Super excited. It seems like we have the world in our hands. And then the next day, you know, or next week, we're talking to lawyers about how do we save our house. And it's just that industry was so cutthroat you know we one day you're operating well the next day about a mile away a competitor opens up and so you know having to live through those different challenges was incredibly hard and, and really kind of s- stepped me away scared me from from entrepreneurship i grew up in a high high end middle class area mm-hmm. and so you know i always kind of had to work to make up for it. Cause I really felt bad for my parents to try to give me anything. And so I've always had that work ethic, but the, the, the fear of feeling the failure all the time was scary at first. It eventually became a superpower for me, but you know, that was one of the lessons that I learned is ultimately not to run away from that, which I'll take you through.
1: And so after having experienced all that, yeah. al- all the entrepreneurship and ups and downs from your parents, like what, what did you study? what did you go into after? after
0: yeah, that? it was interesting. So I, I went into business at first, you know, I, I grew up in In an Indian family, so it's like you know, business was kind of looked down upon at that point too. It's either going to medicine or some or being a a lawyer, telling the doctor doctor (laughs) exactly. So obviously, like didn't. It's like how we do it on the Jewish side too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but so I studied business, and it was you know, as I continued to study business, I really became enamored by just how companies were built. How you know, not really how to start companies at the time was always about. You know, how do you like deal making things of that sort that really excited me up front? So, you know, after school, that was my first entryway into Wall Street. And that was, you know, everyone kind of told me you want stability. Like, go be an investment banker, yep. go learn the business, and so that's where I started my career, which was very different where I ended up. But, you know, I think half the battle for for all of us is learning what you're not happy with, right? Yep. Yeah. So you
1: had the entrepreneurship background, yeah. went to something stable, and then decided you want to be an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, it was well, actually, interesting story. So while I was in banking, I ended up getting recruited by AOL. And AOL at the time, this was o three o four. AOL at the time was really banking on this goose egg that they had, which was the dial up business. Yeah. And it was just a cash machine but everybody knew that cash machine was going to go. They assumed away.
1: our parents would pay for it for another 10 or 15 years, but
0: at some point even our parents like stopped paying for it. Exactly. <laughs> but it took a while for that engine to kind of go Still down. Still thinking about sound <laughs> that it makes, you know, in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. And um and their transition was really about giving content away for free, like bringing down the closed wall that people were paying for and now it's just all about getting eyeballs. And so, as part of that, you know, I was, you know, recruited in to kind of be on the corp dev side and operational side. Oh, so you'd be able to figure out what is AOL going to do next? Exactly, working with all the general and managers. That's why they're the a big,
1: famous, successful
0: company today. Uh, <laughs> I wish, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that. I mean, I was part of uh, several acquisitions, but not all great ones. <laughs> what was the best one? Best one, I would say. Interestingly enough, a small one called Blogsmith which mm. really led the AOL seed platform, which was all about trying to compete with the PR Newswire and just creating yep. content that was just natural for writers. But it sounds, sounds like nothing
1: huge that happened
0: out uh, of these then, nah, unfortunately. I, mean, I was also part of Bebo, which, by the way, was, uh, an, was a huge disaster. So. Well, well,
1: it was great because I think the guy who sold it to AOL built yeah. the battery in SF, which was a nice club for a few years. We all got to use, so I guess something came out of it at least. Yeah, right? for
0: sure. And actually, funny enough, he made a ton of money out of that and then bought back Bebo, and I think... They're trying to restart something out of it now. It's so a tough it's a very, industry. Although yeah.
1: although I have a friend who bought a social media company recently as well. He's trying to do some things oh, with it. But he's I getting know. attacked a lot for it. But we're not going to talk about Twitter too much yeah, today. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, no, but that's, that's a fun industry. But you left that. What led to so MakeSpace is a is working in the storage industry. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's a really cool idea in the storage industry. I'm not going to ruin it by trying to explain it myself. You could <laughs> basically there's like a thirty eight billion dollar industry where people pay yeah. to store stuff. And the way it usually works is you got to do it all yourself. You got to drive to the storage. You got to rent it. You got to move things back and forth. And it turns out there's enough people in cities and suburbs right. that would rather pay someone else to go and and do it for them. So rather than do it all yourself, you pay and MakeSpace comes picks stuff up, brings it storage, brings it back to you when you need it. It's like, it's like
0: software as a service except for storage, right? It sounds great. 1,000%. And really, the idea for MakeSpace stemmed, you know, after my experience at AOL, I went to become a venture capitalist for a few years. And I spent a lot Those of time... Those guys, st- can't uh, trust you them. Know, you know how it goes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I know, that was never my long-term aspiration. You had to learn about a lot of industries. So. It, exactly. And, and one of the areas that I was studying a lot as a VC at the time was uh, real estate. And storage is actually, um, you know, it's a, it is it is really a real estate it's a, business every yeah. day. Yeah, it, so. it's
1: huge. And, and, yeah. and real
0: estate's the biggest industry in the world, effectively, in
1: terms of the wealth that's exactly. tied to it. We do a lot of innovation there. Storage, obviously, one of the biggest parts of
0: it. And you, totally. and
1: you said, how can I innovate this?
0: Yeah, and I think, and, and as we looked at it, I mean, it really... Um, The way it got off the ground is when Hurricane Sandy hit in 2012 because it forced so many of us into storage units. Usually, like, the industry is built on that. They call it the four Ds, death, downsize, divorce, disaster. Death, downsize, divorce, disaster. That's terrible. Horrible. But it's created a $38 billion market. Only 10% of people in the U.S. use storage today. That's Incredible. Really, ten yeah. only ten percent. That's the population. But people use it and they just
1: leave shit there forever. Well,
0: yeah, because you know when you think about it, like let's use downsizing for example. You're moving into a smaller place, but yet you have an attachment to your stuff. You don't want to give it up. Yeah, and so end up you you have this long tail effect where ultimately it's hard to give it up. But you have it away and you just continue to pay. You don't even realize you're paying. Isn't this
1: like a it's kind of a flaw of human nature because like you just say, oh, it's going to cost this much this year. I might as well
0: keep all my stuff. But then like 14 years later, you're still paying for it. Yeah. But that's the magic of what we saw, which is what if, you know, not only give you a much better way to store your stuff, which is the innovation that we all started with, even with MakeSpace. It's a platform to ultimately do whatever you want with your stuff. That's the magic of how we're thinking about it. So what kind of stuff can you do with it? You know, 14 years from now, maybe we give you options to be able to sell your stuff. At some point,
1: you're like, you know what? I don't want to pay for this
0: anymore. Exactly. I'm no longer as attached to this couch or table. Yeah. I, I mean, I view, and this goes back to my history with my father, like the way he managed his restaurants was always around developing relationships with customers. People would come to him. They wouldn't even tell him their order because he had a restaurant in a mall. He just knew it. They would talk about life. And to me, like, it's a very big, important factor when you're building a consumer business. How do you develop a relationship with a customer? And in our, in our vision, it's really about having that relationship continue to evolve over time, which is very different from what the Incumbents well, the current today. storage industry yeah. is about hoping they forget about you and keep paying you over time is Thousands. what it seems like. Yeah, and that's – and because it's, it's a real estate business at the end of the day, right? Do, do
1: people use – MakeSpace obviously merged with the competitor. Like Sequoia-funded clutter. Yeah. We and others founded MakeSpace – I thought I thought MakeSpace was the better run one, uh, and but they but they mer- they did a merger of equals, and I guess you're in charge now. So maybe maybe I was right that it was the better run one. We'll see. No, there's good people in both. Do you, do people like put stuff and they take it back often or something? It seemed like it'd be similar where they keep stuff
0: there mostly. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. When we first started the business, the thought process was, wow, the innovation here is just seamless access. Yeah, right. You can get your stuff when you want. You don't have to schlep to a storage unit.
1: And, and it just makes it easier to engage with you too. Like a lot of us these days, like we're busy.
0: We don't want to go take it over there. Just press, just call you up. You're going to come and do it. right? And the industry and public storage actually tried to start this business about 20 years ago. Why'd they fail? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, because, and it goes back to the one key point, because they're real estate operators, they don't have the mindset of utilizing tech and marketing. That's yeah. not their DNA.
1: You got to tech and marketing, right? You got to operate the right. fleet of trucks correctly
0: we are a consumer business first we have a real estate component which is very Got different being a real estate business first and a consumer so component.
1: you have to have like you said the relationship with the clients yeah, like exactly. what, what are your touch points with them like like what does that yeah, mean so for I you so i mean now?
0: the biggest part is we send fo- like we have professional drivers that we hire that actually go into your home so just the fact that we're interacting with you understanding why you're storing stuff what you're doing you know, with your stuff over time, what's happening in your life. like Those are all data points that we can collect. So right? the drivers are collecting these points Massive. Now. We have The two consumers that I view from a tech perspective are our drivers and warehouse staff and our actual customer. We have built systems along both of those lines and connected. And so when you start to think about what we can do against that data, that's where the magic really happens for the vision down the road. What before. are some of the things you could do with that? Yeah, so today, I mean, we offer moving services. So when you get from point A to point B, um, we offer, obviously, storage services. We have junking on the horizon. We have, eventually, you know, concepts of how you share your stuff and sell your stuff. Um, but today, it's really just, you know, moving in storage. How do we solve the biggest pain points of actually how to get your stuff from one place to the other or put it away somewhere? Um, and yes, interestingly enough, you asked an interesting question up front is, you know, how often do people interact with their stuff? What's their affinity with their stuff? Honestly, there's, when you look in our warehouses, you'd be surprised at the things people store, like a broom that maybe costs four ninety nine that they can't get rid of, right? And over the lifetime, customers actually interact maybe three or four times. and it's sometimes to take stuff out or sometimes to put stuff back in. And so it's a very interesting dynamic, but I think the 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 biggest assumption made by the incumbents at the time because easy access, can the unit economics work was proven wrong. We have 10 years of history now that yep. has that shown. Interesting.
1: That. So, we talked about when you were a kid, you were at Arby's pouring drinks, helping your dad build these various restaurants, involved in entrepreneurship yeah. that way. But you have the same kind of operational stuff. You have to do build and make space, right? And so, early on, I think you were driving trucks, getting involved in the operations, <laughs> and you got you got pulled over while you were trying to oh, work my, on the company. What, what, tell me about this. It's,
0: a, it's an amazing story. Honestly, it, I, I don't even know that we would have gotten the business off the ground if we knew how hard it was operationally to start. So, I think the way I came in starry-eyed and not understanding like even how to drive a truck properly. Right. And we're getting started in New York. So when you start looking around thinking parking situations, et cetera, like yeah, for, how do you go and get parking and then I, take stuff I, down? Funny stories though. I saw sprinter vans and I was like, Hey, I could drive that and we could fit stuff in there. And so went to the Mercedes dealership because they were the ones producing sprinter vans at the time. That was our first sprinter van. And so, wow, that's, so you just started from like ground up First spinner van, and you yeah. you drove it to go get furniture? First five trucks were personally, you know, under me personally. Wow. But I learned so much. And think about this, right? I start. We started MakeSpace. I was a venture capitalist before that moment. And so I'd stepped away from business school and all these things and I you know was now driving the truck and understanding. So basically
1: went from being a venture capitalist <laughs> just telling other people what to do to actually having to drive the freaking
0: truck. Yeah, so I drove the truck for a year and a half and I remember our first board meeting when we sat down and you know we had just raised our series A and the question was are you going to keep driving the truck? And I was I hadn't really thought about the fact that oh my gosh like we're now Getting past this and we've got to go hire drivers. That's how we got our start in all this. But so the, the funniest part of the story was I was so um, new at, you know, being a professional driver. I had no idea what I was doing. And I would just drive down certain highways that you're not allowed to drive with commercial trucks. <laughs> so, like, I got pulled over. Uh, had to go to court, and of course there's other drivers around, and everybody looks at me like this n- new this, person this, in the house. Yeah, so, oh gosh. but I mean, little things like having to figure out how to go to the bathroom, right? Like stuff we don't talk about. It, it's very difficult. Like the day to day is very stressful. Uh-huh. But I think one thing that so I how, learned: Do you carry a bottle, or do you park somewhere? No, I, this this was interesting. So what <laughs> I did with, I, I mean, some, some some of the professional drivers definitely do that. But what I what I found was let's let's try to create a network of you know maybe restaurants and places that we Where could you can talk
1: stop. To and you use the restroom exactly and, be and just them. talk
0: to them and just say you know we could even offer to to let our drivers buy some food there you buy food use them. the restroom exactly. and, and kind of be friends so we work. created a little network and this was just in new york and that was really interesting but that was just learnings from me doing amazing it,
1: right? so now when you open up new cities you try to start these networks for your drivers what needed learn but you know yeah. what
0: that's what we that's how we attract talent because they yeah. know that we know what we're what they're facing people don't realize there's so many little details and yeah. processes like this but that goes back to my history right with my dad because he you know like at ten years old, which you probably shouldn't have put me put me behind no, the restaurant. No, I say I worked in the old yeah. days all the time. But uh, you know, I learned like you'd learn by doing, yeah. right? And that's how I became a builder and an operator. Your dad was an, an immigrant entrepreneur, and you got to you make it work. That's that's the DNA. Forever of you're grateful. Using. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean, and there's plenty of stories like that, even in the warehouse. And then eventually working my way up, you know, to where I am today. Like challenges are very different, but I can appreciate every level of where people you know, our work in and what's really important to them. And I try to keep that in mind as we continue to develop culture, which is some of the things that you talked about. But it's all starts with the fact that I've done it, that I can relate to how they're doing it and I've done it badly and they do it well and they can know I can appreciate I love that. it. That makes you a yeah. great
1: CEO. You yeah. actually yeah. had to go through that and now you're yeah. managing it. This is an interesting business. In order to operate a business like this, yeah.
0: you have a bunch of storage units, you have a
1: bunch of trucks. There's, there's all these things like when you do venture capital, you want to be as asset light yeah. as possible. But you guys did a really interesting deal with Iron Mountain in 2019. They already own a ton of these yeah. storage facilities. They already own a bunch of these fleets and that's, that's able to get your costs way down. And for them, it's able to monetize their assets better. Tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah. I mean,
0: one of the uh, this business is so complicated and that's a big competitive moat that i think this combined business truly has and one of the challenges is the amount of capital you raise you have to deploy it in several different ways you have marketing you have technology and engineers and product you have you know all the consumer stuff that we have to work with but then internally we also have a lot of logistics that we have to prepare for and one of them is real estate so our real estate component is using industrial warehouses where we take your stuff We create a lot of density inside that warehouse to try to drive down our costs. But you're you're able to make it denser than it would be if a consumer was doing it because you're doing it professionally. Exactly. Or even an e-commerce company because we're doing reverse logistics. Our entire solve is you put your stuff on the shelf. When do we think you're going to get it out?
1: So you're able to actually give a pretty good deal to consumers, pick up their stuff for relatively cheap because because your storage is more efficient
0: because you're doing it versus a consumer. Exactly. But the challenge was even to set up that supply chain required a lot of capital. So, when you think about all those components where we had to drive investments, you know, one of the areas that we really studied, and this was a little bit more taboo at the time of 2018-19, when founders were really trying to go out and raise as much capital as possible, as much, get as high of a valuation as possible. You know, our approach was, hey, like, we'd rather scale fast. Like, how do we find some of this supply chain infrastructure that, quite frankly, that's not our muscle, Let's go find someone that really knows how to do it or some people that really know how to do it. And it turned out Iron Mountain, you know, from that perspective, we're trying to do something like this. I think what's interesting about Iron Mountain is there as a big company, and I view this even for, for Clutter's future is, you know, Whatever we do today should represent a portion of what we're doing in the future, like maybe 50% of what we're doing in the future. And I think Iron Mountain's really proven that in the way that they've evolved their business. So it was no surprise when they were trying to tackle the storage space, too. But the problem is, and it really goes back to what I said, which is our advantage against real estate, you know, they're an enterprise business.
1: Yeah, no, and yeah. they're not used to be a consumer business. No, they're not used to these, to these operations. That, yeah. it's, it's different DNA when you have something established for that long. And, and this, right. but this is cool. It's kind of like tech-driven private equity where you're taking the assets, you're combining them with a great tech company, and together they're stronger. So in 2019, you know, Iron yeah. Mountain working out. I think there may be 18 cities that you make space which you were running was in and the clutter was in as well which is your competitor and you guys were fighting it out it was very yeah, expensive yeah. to acquire consumers when two guys have the same ideas uh so similar to Confinity and X.com which was Elon Musk and Peter Thiel's totally. companies to make PayPal you guys emerged you kept the name Clutter, which I—it's I, I, fine. It's a good name. It's uh,
0: they were the were the competitor before, right? I love your loyalty to the business. Yeah, I was like, like oh,
1: ah, <laughs> their competitor name, but it's good because you're. I guess I'd rather have their name and you running it. Okay, a fine guy, <laughs> but it's like so in 2022, you merged with Clutter. Tell me, like, how does this work when these companies merge together? Some people don't don't make it. Some people do. You are obviously can cut some costs. It's gonna be cheaper to advertise in those cities. Are there some way that you can serve the clients better together?
0: Yeah, you know, it was uh, these these challenges are very very difficult and um, navigating any sort of merger is an incredible you know undertaking. And so, you know, I had a I had a lot of lessons learned through my experience teaming up with Iron Mountain. So, what they allowed us to do at the time we were in four markets. Clutter, I believe, was in six and. What I knew about Iron Mountain was they had eighteen markets up and running, but I knew we were much bigger than them just in the four markets we were in. So what happens if we could tap in our technology and sophistication and and consumer marketing skills into their infrastructure and how could we quickly could we onboard these markets? Gus, you're yeah. scaling now with them to Iron yeah. Mountain's markets exactly. So now we've got you know and the 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 theme was by twelve months past when we formulated that joint venture, we'd be in. I believe eighteen markets. We ended up in twenty four markets, so wow. it worked beautifully from that standpoint. When well, you say twenty four markets, like is this like New York,
1: San Francisco? Like yeah. What kind I of I so the main mean...
0: markets we were already in like New York, San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, D.C. You know, we we complemented that with like Miami, with Pittsburgh, with you know Boston, with Toronto, which was our first international market. And the reason was because because we didn't have that upfront cost of having to invest in supply chain. Like even not utilize, we could utilize their drivers, et cetera. It was very simple for us to get up and running and was all about building that marketing muscle, building that tech muscle. And that's what we were good at. And so that's what they allowed us to do. So we understood very quickly how our service could work beyond, you know, a handful of major markets. And that's where we saw tremendous tailwinds as we got got into COVID, where you saw a big exodus into many cities from the main cities, um, and that's where this business capitalized. And you yes, asked, you know, big question about like how does it, how did we end up merging with Clutter? And it was, it, you know, based on that success that we had, you know, Clutter also did a lot of things incredibly well too from a logistics standpoint. They built an incredible muscle with the, you know, they basically managing a fleet of drivers. Also, within the warehouse, creating processes and systems that were really effective. And I think when we saw bringing those both, stra- both those strategies together, we could accelerate the path to, to a true market leader without really major competitors behind us. And one of the reasons that all played out is, you know, when we had in 2021, if you remember early on, there was this whole SPAC discussion. You know, we internally also spent time talking about what that could look like. And I think we fundamentally view, when market conditions obviously recover, that this business has a place in the public path. And yep. w- we think that... I'm glad we didn't SPAC in 21, though. That'd oh, be a mess. Mean, Everything went yeah. out
1: of $10, and you'd be trading at yeah. one or two is well, the way
0: SPACs work right now. 2020 hindsight. But we learned a tremendous amount in that process. And I think what I understood, and then what Ari also understood at Clutter, is the scale we could bring together... And the muscle that we could bring between the logistics knowledge that we have, plus a partnership that nobody else could have at this point, which is scaling, you know, incredibly well. uh, You know, you just create such a competitive moat that it's going to be really hard to overcome. I truly believe that.
1: Yep. And so, season three in American Optics is our build season. We're talking about themes of the principles and frameworks for kind of creating and leading successful organizations. Yeah. And there's, there's quite a few. Quite a few of these, obviously, I'm sure you use. I'm curious to hear on like the mission and the talent side. How do you think about that? Why is this mission something inspiring that the best people want to spend time on? How are you attracting and building a top talent culture?
0: I I think, you know, one of the key things about the service that we offer is we try to make it beautiful, right? Like the storage experience in general is just a painful experience. There's so many pain points. Driving, packing your stuff, taking it to a storage unit. Moving is already
1: really stressful.
0: Yeah, and we just project that, you know, that, hey, we're trying to make something that sucks into something that's amazing and beautiful, and it attracts people to want to be a part of that. So you're
1: taking tons of stress out of people's lives. You're making them
0: happy with something that normally they'd be difficult. Totally, and it's an innovation in how people market, like how companies like us market versus how the incumbents market. And then you look at the technology side you're solving reverse logistics, last mile challenges. Like these are some of the best engineers in the world study these types. That's of cool. Things. So and it's so, really, yeah. really
1: hard logistics problems, hard tech, and you're taking stress out of hundreds of thousands yeah. of people's lives. Exactly. And, and you're giving, giving them a really good deal because it's, it's actually gonna be cheaper the way you're doing it basically.
0: Yeah. 1000%. And it's like creating, you know, and I, what I've learned in my time is you always have to reevaluate what the mission is, right? Like there's always an overarching vision, but understanding the types of people that you have within an organization and really starting to cater the culture around it is key. And we've done that several times over, you know, now at the clutter business, we'll undertake the same one. Same. Mission, so, where are is... your offices now? Between like Clutter and you, how have you thought about that? Yeah. So, we were in New York. Uh, after COVID hit, we were able to actually sublease our space, and everybody's remote at this point. L.A. was the headquarters for for Clutter, but we're in the process of really embracing the remote culture at this really? point. Whether that turns into pockets of you know areas that we can have locations that everybody gathers around the country. So, so you don't agree with Elon telling everyone to come back to work? And... <laughs> I think there's going to be some hybrid of that. I do think that ultimately you need to build. Build some community, and you know, outside of just opening up the Zoom or Google Hangout. Yeah, how do you, yeah. do, you do
1: you go on trips with your key executives
0: and see them? Like, what, do they come to you? How's that work? It's offsite related. I think every quarter, uh, you know, it's going to be one of the big things that has to happen. Is every quarter we do get together, what, or teams what, do. What's your guys' together. favorite sort of offsite? What do you what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm gonna have we're gonna have our first one. I think the first one's not going to be too crazy. It'll be in L.A. to start it out, but ultimately we're gonna start, you know, start start doing some. Interesting Wait until things. we're
1: really profitable to start doing some crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you know,
0: you know, looking at the market today, we've got to be very thoughtful. Don't forget so. <laughs> your investors when you do the phone ones, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Yeah, but, but speaking of the market today, like yeah. we're, we're at the end of an historic bull run. Liquidity is tightening. Yep. There's not as much money in tech. How does that change your approach to your business, to your talent, your business development? Like, what's different now versus a year or two ago?
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, growth at all costs is not word we've, we've actually not been focused on that for a long time because the business is just so hard to scale as it is that it's really important for us to prove out the unit economics of being able to do this because so much of the market doesn't think we could. right and, and, and I think we've done a good job of proving that. But it's really around being very thoughtful around the types of customers we acquire how long potentially they stay with us, and what other areas we want to continue to kind of capture more and more customers down the road. And so the team is really built around that. I think it's a good um, balance of scaling and showing growth, but showing growth profitably. And I think that's been really something that, you know, the team has kind of rallied around over the last nine months. It's a good combination.
1: Not only are you making all these people delighted, taking away their stress, but you're actually going to grow profitably now, which a lot of tech companies weren't. Doing as much a few no, years ago. And
0: we understood that, like, having enormous burn rates wasn't going to be sustainable. You had to burn some to build the frickin' thing, of course, yeah. You know, it's just the, the supply chain costs are what they are. Marketing is what it is. But, but
1: And I guess clutter helps you get to scale. But combining clutter makes space. You get to scale much faster now than you could have before in terms of being big enough that some of the costs are smaller relative to your number of customers. Yeah, I mean,
0: our business is interesting because we're, you know, truly a consumer subscription business. Like, there's a lot of SaaS-like elements to how we, do, how, how we ro- operate the business. And, you know, you are burning a lot of capital up front as you're growing because you have that onboarding cost the actual marketing cost to bring a customer in. But as you get the scale, it's the long tail effect that really helps you. And so yeah. that's where combining these two businesses gets you to a point. It gets
1: you bigger, faster to it, actually make exactly. it
0: profitable. Um, you know, one more question yeah. around this
1: building is, you know, I think of Clutter as a platform. There's yeah. all sorts of things you can build on top of it for consumers, like you were saying. What are your principles for that? What frameworks do you apply? What questions do you ask before yeah. building a product?
0: You know, it's uh, finding product market fit is so hard. You know, MakeSpace has gone through various iterations of where we thought we had product market fit. Where we extended into other services, and you get a lot of false positives. I think few things. One, as we gather on innovation projects, I really you know rally the team around this concept of look, great is the enemy of good. I believe just you know we trying to figure out what the customer actually wants doesn't work from my perspective. A lot of the times, just want to hand them something with the tools that we think they may need, and then see how they react and collect the right data points. The hardest thing to do is understand how to invest in something with imperfect data. So, you know, for us, um, that's why it's important to take smaller shots in different areas. And as we start to see some, you know, some scaling effect is really double down on those efforts. And then
1: you can scale those up. How big is clutter going to be? There's 38 billion dollars in the storage industry. Yeah. Logically, there's going to be some of this done the old-fashioned way because right. economics doesn't
0: always work yeah. to pick up things for everyone. How big can, can you be over the next decade? I, I, uh, I, my dream has always been to work at a generational company. Uh, most companies in the first year, two years, three years fail. This has been the biggest lottery ticket for me to be able to wake up every day and work on something that I actually see a path to be here, well beyond me. Um, And I know it's going to take, you know, obviously, we're just kind of getting started on that big part of the journey. But I do see this as that component of a really big company in a really big industry that's changing the way people interact with their stuff very differently from not just the incumbents in real estate or in storage, but how the moving companies operate, how container companies operate, how all these different versions of storage exist. Imagine having one platform that can do a lot of that. So I do see this business having a place in the world, having a big place in the world, as to how big it can be, I mean, we're 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 gonna go as, as, as big as we can. So <laughs>
1: hey, do you think it could be ten percent of the industry if it's successful at scale, five percent of the industry? Like what's the right yeah, way to well, think about Well, I mean, that? I
0: think so public storage owns roughly eight percent of the industry. Uh, you know, that's a, good,
1: that's a good comp then to go I, after? I you're... think
0: so. I think so. But even just owning one percent of the industry is a massive company. Yep. Especially with the way these businesses trade. So uh, you know, our we, I think I think this business could be very, very like not only that, but maybe bigger scale because it's going after portions in the market that the storage guys aren't even operating against. Um, so I'm excited to see how that plays. I like out. the way but
1: the board described you is that the other founder you merged with would be like, we're going to be bigger in the whole industry. <laughs> but then but then and you're like a little more humble, but then you're like an amazing operator. Just you're, just you're focused on the details and making
0: this thing scale profitably. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, um, I think I think that's uh, so I've also had, you know for better or worse, have had a lot less capital t- to work with yep. and have really been thoughtful about the way we invest. But more importantly, it's been always with that thought of being a lasting company.
1: Having a little bit of scarcity sometimes is good for companies. Yeah, it makes them it, learn it, how it to is. do things in the right is. way. It is. So, you know, we started American Optimist to push yeah. back against the cynicism, the yeah. pessimism we're seeing a lot around our country. What What makes you optimistic about the future, what innovations, what technologies are you seeing that you're like, wow, things are going to be really great here in the next five or 10 years?
0: I mean, I just look back at history, right? Like uh, recessions happen. Um, Some of the best businesses have been born out of recessions. I think the path towards starting a company and getting it operational is as easy as it has ever been in history. You know, look at the time period of when you can create, quote unquote, generational companies like took Google how long, and you've seen a lot that have happened, you know, very quickly, maybe some too quickly, but maybe
1: FTX was too quick. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But,
0: but the point is like, you can't, you know, you're, you're going to see that path of innovation continue to happen. So I think people shouldn't look at the world and say, everything is gone. You know, everything is dire. Like, you know, the, the world is really falling apart. It, It creates opportunity. And the hardest part is Go capture that
1: opportunity. So, 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 what would you say to those young people who who are saying yeah. the world is broken, that
0: things right. can't be repaired? Like, 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 how do they change their mindset to go capture that opportunity? This is the time to do it. Take your shot. Just like I took my shot, and saw, I, I, my, my, the way I look at things has changed a lot over the years. At first, it was how difficult would that be to change. Now it's how could that be better. For almost yeah. everything that I go through, every service that I look and at. That's a great point. There's yeah. so much
1: all of us see. We're like, this could be better. This could be better. There's so many ways to improve yeah. the world. I think there's a sense amongst young people, and I had this even myself yeah. a bit, where it's like, history's already happened right. and now we're here that would have been really cool to like be part of changing everything a hundred yeah. years ago or 50 years ago and I think there's this I hate the term developed world right but it's just like now we're developed and now we're just here yeah and then and I think people miss the fact that like all the stuff's still broken all the stuff still needs to be fixed and changed totally, yeah right so we're still right in the middle of fixing all of
0: this I mean think about where this world was 10 years ago think about where we are just in 10 years like without people having the confidence to go out and think they can make those changes you know, we're not going to have this same innovation. So I think, you know, and I, and I understand younger people have probably not experienced some of the cycles. I mean, you mentioned it early on, we've been on a huge bull run. That's obviously not the case anymore, but that creates more opportunity. That's the way you got to look. It's at healthier for some of
1: these businesses too, yeah. because now they actually have to grow in a scalable, sustainable way. People yeah. talk about sustainability. There's sustainability in businesses and economics yeah. too.
0: And and our businesses we're building now are a lot more sustainable than what we saw a few years ago. Exactly. And and I mean, you asked one one other question, like, what am I excited about? So obviously like warehouse innovations, all these different things, certainly of, of huge interest to me. But the things that are happening around data, AI, like that is, you know, transformational stuff. And we're, we're seeing it happen in real time. And, you know, a lot of people doubted that it would happen as quickly as it has and where it is today. So, you know, people, if you think something is really hard, that's the time to go out and do it. I think that's what we're going to see. I think people will come around and come to that realization, but also the way content is provided today and the way we, you know, consume it, whether it's through, you know, the social media platform you are talking about earlier, or just in general, like, you know, I think it just, we have some more access to information that probably, you know, it, it, implosions are, are, are talked about more often than the success stories. Right. And so I think people kind of see that front and center, but that's where opportunity is still created. So that's my best advice is just go out and do it. Awesome. That's a nice yeah. note to end on Rahul. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yeah, today. no problem. Thank you for having me.